Welcome to Aches and Gains, a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, pain specialist at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Pain has reached epidemic proportions, and chronic pain affects a staggering 25% or more of the population. Its human impact is real and is felt by infants, children, all the way to older adulthood. But there's hope and there's treatment. This show offers compelling stories of those who found relief and offers insight into treatments that can ease pain and human suffering. You may be shocked to find out that up to 20% of women have had sexual pain during their lives. That's higher than the percentage of adults with asthma, cancer, or heart disease. When we talk about sexual pain, we're focused on the region of the body called the pelvis. The pelvis extends from the belly button to the pubis, and pain can arise from muscles in the pelvic floor, bones, ligaments, as well as organs like the bladder, intestines, uterus, prostate, nerves, and sexual organs. Today, we'll discuss a subject that's considered untouchable and taboo by patients and doctors alike. We'll break that silence by learning about the causes and treatments for sexual pain in women. Our first guest, Jessica, shares for the first time in public how she's endured five years of misdiagnosed vulvar pain resulting in a lack of sexual intimacy. We're then joined by Dr. Deborah Cody, author of Healing Painful Sex and one of the few gynecologists specializing in the treatment of sexual pain. Today, in the last of our two-part series on sexual pain, we'll delve more deeply into Jessica's story and gain insight into the best treatments for sexual pain conditions with Dr. Deborah Cody. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Jessica is a woman in her late 20s who suffered from unrelenting sexual pain for five years. Confusion, isolation, and depression set in until a thorough exam revealed quite remarkably that bone spurs in her hip joint were causing vulvar pain. Jessica, you know, sexual pain can affect almost every part of life. How did you handle your job responsibilities during this time? I'm, um, I, I deal with clients and stuff, and I'm sure they could tell I just wasn't the same person. But I always went to work. And I wanted to take time off and sickness, but like, what can I say to my boss? Oh, I'm sorry. My vagina's on fire and you know, there's no cure. It's just not something I could talk about and why I was so much more lethargic because of the medicine. It just wasn't something, even depression you can talk about with your boss. I knew coworkers who suffered from depression and when they got put on new medicines, they had talked to a boss about it. It's like, it just wasn't something I was comfortable talking about with my employer. I'm really glad you mentioned that because many people would feel comfortable talking about depression or alcoholism, for example, but not sexual pain. I mean, that would be considered taboo and make people feel quite uncomfortable, I can imagine. Yes. And I almost, like I said, no one knows about it. If I told my employer or someone who didn't know me, they, who didn't know who I was and how not sexually active I was, the immediate blame would go on me and maybe sleeping around or something. I probably told 10 of my closest girlfriends from college and high school and not one person had ever even heard of 
a sexual disorder. Jessica, has your own experience given you a greater understanding of the magnitude of this problem? Yes, because I also had to go to physical therapy, um, not only for my hip problems, but internally, you know, sitting in the waiting room, seeing how many women and men um, were in the waiting room. Was your life defined by your pain, or or could you find meaning in, in your work and friendships and hobbies? Um, no, I felt pretty defined by the pain. Those years, looking back, I had good things happen to me. I, you know, still went out and was social, but I was pretty consumed with the medicines, the creams, the, what, is this going to end? And all my conversations, will I be able to date? Will I be able to have children? Like, you know, I pretty much was consumed by it and I was, I was pretty depressed. I know you said you saw four different gynecologists before finally seeing Dr. Cody. What did they have to say to you? They all agreed since I wasn't coming up positive for anything else that it was vulvodynia, but they just had no treatment plan except giving me amitriptyline. Okay, you mean amitriptyline. Was that effective? No, and if anything, it made me gain weight and so lethargic and so... I felt stupid because it's not like I had cancer or anything like that, but it almost felt like, like I said, it's on every love song. It's on every song on the radio. It's on every movie, every conversation I have with a girlfriend. It's all about love and sex and relationships and meaning, but I just also felt like no one understands what I'm going through. And I just felt like a burden to people because I was just such a negative person to be around. And who wants to be around a negative person? Exactly. What kind of testing was performed, Jessica? I mean, pelvic exams, MRI of the pelvis, ultrasound studies, testing for STDs, for example, for bacteria, viruses, yeast? Yeah, no, I, I got all the above over the years. And, and help us understand how bone spurs in your hip led to vulvar pain. It wasn't until Dr. Cody, this specific part of my hip, my inside, my hip bone, where the pelvic floor and all that was got looked at, that they discovered that I had bone spurs on the inside of my hip bone that was rubbing against and tearing cartilage in my hip. So I got my bone spurs removed and then, you know, all my muscles leading to my tailbone and pelvic floor were stopped pulling. The connection between the two is remarkable. I mean, it's not well known, but the muscles close to the hip and low back can cause pain that radiates to the vulva or rectum. When we come back, We'll talk to Jessica about how this condition was actually diagnosed. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, a leading pharmaceutical company focused in specialty-driven markets, including pain management, and dedicated to improving and protecting quality of life for people around the world. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Welcome back. Jessica, how was the hip problem diagnosed? MRI. And who worked it up? Was it Dr. Cody or did you see an orthopedist? I saw an, an orthopedist at hospital special surgery, a doctor that Dr. Cody recommended because, you know, she had gone to doctors and saying, I'm seeing this correlation between hip pain and, um, pelvic floor pain and you know he said oh you know I you've seen that many patients and when I did see this doctor Dr. Coleman um, he said you know this isn't guaranteed to solve all your down there problems but you have like every symptom that you know 
would correlate to pelvic floor pain. You know, muscle problems in your hip or in your tailbone, you know, it's all connected to the muscles that are leading to your vagina. And so, you know, if you're pulling something or something's messed up or your body's out of whack, that it's all connected. And it's crazy to me because I never for three years put together that my hip pain could have anything to do with my vagina pain. Even though it makes sense they're so close, never did I ever consider it until I found Dr. Cody. And it's those anatomical interconnections that make sexual pain so mysterious and difficult to diagnose. Jessica, what did you find out from the orthopedist? I find out I need to get hip surgery and it was like, and it's not guaranteed. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I am just, you know, devastated. Hip surgery, I have to take time off work you know, blah, blah, blah. But at least I can always say it's hip, even though my main hope was the vagina. Before you had your hip surgery, what kind of medications, topical medicines and others, did Dr. Cody recommend? She slowly weaned me off the horrible medicine that I was on because you can't just get taken off something like that. Creams like estrogen or something down there. Um, I would even take put Valium pills up my vagina when, before I went to bed because it would help numb and like relax the muscles. I mean, it was like four things I put on down there and a pill I'd put in before night. And then I brought Aquaphor to seal it, you know, to make sure it wasn't agitated. It was a lot with gloves to make sure I don't give myself any more problems. Um, But it's a lot to do before work, before bed. It's a lot. Once you're in pain 24-7, like nonstop, your brain starts to trick you that you're in more pain than you really are. So she suggested I go on Zimbolta and it helps tell your brain that it's it, it, this is the right amount of pain. Zimbolta really helped me. Let's talk about your experience with physical therapy for pelvic pain because it can be quite invasive. It's all about loosening and releasing trigger points. So, you know, we would do internal work and that really was painful because it's like not you know, just like if you have phys- when I have physical therapy in the hip and they'd rub things and your body forms trigger points, which is basically like your muscles nodding together, um, you know, they're pressing upon it and it's not loose at all. And they would massage like the area like in between your thigh and your vagina, like those muscles. That all sounds like, oh my gosh, they're massaging, but no, it killed. It was so painful. I cried more in that physical therapy. I became very close with my physical therapist. I trusted her. And like I said, every time I walked out, I almost felt a little violated. I can see how you would feel that way because of the invasiveness of the therapy. Jessica, how effective was it for you? Well, at the time, I really just was so over it and I felt like it did nothing. But looking back, it did a ton. It was loosening. It was teaching me, you know, different exercises. I truly think all of that played a big role. After the hip surgery, how long did it take you to feel better? I mean, did it take days, weeks, or, or even months? It immediately, it felt better. I remember the first time I went to bathroom, even though I was like all like drugged up and everything, I was like, wow, it feels good. And it felt great for like a week. And then it started to hurt the same pain before. They said it could take up to a year because when I hit my six-month mark, I was crying, being like, I'm still in pain. It didn't work. Nothing's working. All this for nothing. And I would get so angry. They just said, you know, it, it can take up to a year to even 
start to work. And honestly, I would say the year point is when it got better. Survivors of cancer often feel that their life is divided into life before and life after cancer. Jessica, did you feel that defining moment as well? Yes. I feel like the last year of my life, I became the old Jessica. That's great. Jessica, how is your sexual health today? So far, so good. No pain. I feel like a normal woman. It feels completely fine. It's fantastic to hear that your pain is gone and that you're healthy again. Thank you very much for sharing the details of a very intimate part of your life with us on Aches and Games. All right. Thank you very much for having me. Up next is Dr. Deborah Cody, one of the few gynecologists specializing in the treatment of sexual pain. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Endo Pharmaceuticals, a U.S.-based specialty healthcare solutions company that delivers innovative diagnostics, drugs, devices, and clinical data to meet the needs of patients in areas such as pain, urology, oncology, and endocrinology. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Welcome back. Dr. Deborah Cody is a private practice board-certified obstetrician-gynecologist in New York City. She cares for women with chronic sexual, vulvar, and pelvic pain. Many patients come to her after years of humiliation and misdiagnosis that have disrupted their sex lives, often making sexual activity impossible. Her book, Healing Painful Sex, is a woman's guide to confronting, diagnosing, and treating sexual pain. Dr. Cody, welcome back. When we last talked, we wanted to find out how men react to sexual pain in women. I guess it really varies. You know, we we have young women who are just dating and have said, well, you know, there he goes. (laughs) But the women who are in long-term relationships, I mean, it's really heartwarming to see how supportive, you know, their their partners are over time. and, you know, we always say there's there's lots of ways to be intimate, and we get into that a lot in the book. But, you know, for most heterosexual women, intercourse becomes like the hardest thing to do as part of their pain um, process. And it's a big loss. And so I guess it, uh, you know, I guess it really depends on, on the strength of the relationship and and the emotional strength of the couple. Deb, how does sexual pain affect women in a way that's different from pain in any other part of the body? Well, I think that it gets to the real core of their feminine self, different than having a headache, chronic headache. You know, you can certainly say, you know, I just have really bad luck. You know, I get migraines every week, and that's what what it is. But maybe it doesn't interfere with their ability to be intimate and to start and continue relationships. And that is, for everybody, men and women, you know, one of the joys of being human. So if that joy cannot be there, it's really tough. I agree. How much pain during intercourse is normal for women? There are certainly situations where there can be some discomfort with with intercourse or with sexual activity in general that we wouldn't consider, you know, a a serious type of pain. If it's very transient, if it could be due to just, you know, getting a run-of-the-mill yeast infection, um, if it's mild. But, But I tell women that, 
you know, anything that's persistent, if it stops you from having sex, or not even, it doesn't even have to stop you. If it just doesn't feel right, it's worth getting checked out. But Deb, how often do women share their worry that they'll never have a sexual or romantic future? Often. I mean, that's the first thing that they will ask. And I say, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, I, and then we have to define better because, you know, if somebody's been suffering for 20 years just with chronic pain in general of any type, you know, the longer they're suffering, the longer it may take as a project to get them better. You know, aside from being able to have comfortable sex, which is usually the top of the list, some of them need to have a goal of being able to wear normal clothing be able to sit for long periods of time without getting into pain. So getting a complete and accurate diagnosis and then addressing each area is really important. And if that's done, I think the vast majority of women can get better. It's wonderful to know that most women will get better. On the other hand, do we have any information on the risk of suicide in women with sexual pain? Well, we've found in our patients that it's very common to have fantasies about suicide. And we have heard of patients who have committed suicide after years of suffering, none that I know of. But we do tell them that it can be sort of a normal reaction that you would have this fantasy, but we are always on the lookout for depression that would be, you know, so severe as to lead to suicide. Yes, I agree. I think it's important to be alert to the risk of suicide in women who have pelvic pain. And Deb, once women begin treatment for sexual pain, when on average will they be able to resume intercourse or sexual activity? A lot of it really depends on how long they've been having trouble and what their complete diagnosis is. For instance, if the pelvic floor imbalance and dysfunction and shortening and spasm is the issue. Usually three to six months of physical therapy will markedly improve that. When there's vulvar problems that are dermatologic, again, that three to six months. When it comes to those women who have pedendal nerve pain, it may take a lot longer. But I'm always very um, sure to say to them because most people as you probably see, think that once a nerve is injured, it can never be fixed. Nerves do heal, and there's lots of ways that we can get them better, but that may take longer. Hope is so important. Dr. Cody, let's turn to specific treatments. Which topical medicines, in your experience, are the most successful in treating sexual pain? The most common topical medication that I use is estrogen combined with testosterone or DHEA to, to the vestibule and in or estrogen deficient women, either because of menopause or chemotherapy, you know, intravaginally, because this area is so hormonally dependent and if there is an imbalance there, it's so important to um, replace that. Then the other topicals would be, you know, the lidocaine, the gabapentin, topically. But I do find that the anti-epileptics and the SNRIs are much better for, for women, you know, as opposed to the opioids in, in treating uh, chronic pelvic pain. Zimbalta, Favela, you know, they're 
approved for fibromyalgia. So sometimes I think of some of the pelvic floor problems as really fibromyalgia of, of, of that area. That's an intriguing connection. Jessica, who's a guest on my show and a former patient of yours, mentioned that she used intravaginal Valium. I'd like you to comment on that and also which nerve blocks have you found most successful in reducing sexual pain in women? And let's let's start with intravaginal Valium. Has that been effective? Yes. That's been very helpful. Um, again, all in, all in experience. <laughs> it's a very good local muscle relaxant. And when you use it uh, vaginally, hopefully we're putting most of the medication right where it's needed into the tense muscles of the pelvic floor. And how about nerve blocks? My thinking is to calm down the tissues around the pedendal nerve as it passes through several small tunnels to get to the skin of the vulva. So I, I use transvaginal uh, pedendal nerve blocks quite often. Um, the other nerves that can give clitorodynia and involve our pain uh, could be the iliohypogastric and ilioinguinal nerves that come from above. And so nerve blocks there, especially if there's a C-section scar or you know other surgery that may have caused some uh, injury to these nerves, can give some good relief, too, and also be very diagnostic. You mentioned in your book, Healing Painful Sex, that there's a growing understanding of the value of alternative treatments for sexual pain, and I'd like to highlight some of those. So, for example, acupuncture, Pilates, and yoga, both for pelvic floor dysfunction, hypnosis, meditation, and relaxation have been found to be quite helpful in reducing sexual pain. I think, you know, mind-body therapies are so helpful. Anything that can help with the relaxation response is really important. Just using olive or safflower oil to keep the tissues moisturized around the vaginal opening in and of itself can be helpful. And, and what's your experience with herbals? The herb that I like a lot is chase tree berry. This is an oral herb that I find very helpful for uh, the hormonal side. You also mentioned in your book that propylene glycol and paraben should be avoided because they're neurotoxins. And in fact, I think you've also mentioned that anything perhaps even made in China or that you can't pronounce should be avoided as well. Speaking of toxins, what is your experience with using Botox for pelvic floor muscle spasms? It can be very useful. It can be done under general anesthesia. I don't agree with that because then all the muscles go lax. So what makes sense to me is to find a muscle that is not um, responding to physical therapy. That's usually where we'd use it in conjunction with our physical therapist who say, look, you know, I've been working on this muscle. It's just we've reached a plateau and maybe a little Botox in there will help. And it, can help amazingly. I agree. I found that using botulinum toxin for controlling a condition known as neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome has been quite helpful. Deb, what is the link between cancer of any part of the body and sexual pain? And, and it doesn't have to be just pelvic cancer. It could be any cancer that uses chemotherapy or radiation therapy is another big issue with uh, changes in, in the vulva. You know, if it's not from the surgery that they have to undergo to, to treat their, their cancer, it's the hormonal side effects, which, you know, can be devastating. A surgical menopause can be, um, you know, the most abrupt and horrible thing a person can go through in life. There's a lot to do. So for women who are getting better after cancer and a sad part of their recovery, they may think, is the inability to have sex. Don't give up. See, see somebody who knows about this, and there is a lot to do. 
That's a real message of hope for all women with cancer. Dr. Cody, thank you for your book and for opening our eyes to the many facets of this painful condition. And thank you so much. And even if you've had bad experiences, you know, pursue getting better because it's definitely possible. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. Aches and Gains is produced by Eric Vohr and Dr. Paul Christo. Ty Ford is the audio engineer, and Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.